0: into a new edition of the Going Deep Buffalo podcast on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Masseri, here with Kevin Syracuse. And boy, do we have a digging it out episode here, talking about the receiver room. Got some coaching hires to go over for a little bit. Uh, from some coaching moves across the Bills land today, randomly news dump on uh, February 7th date. So we'll get into some of that. So it's good to see the Bills filling their assistant coaches. But as always, our show is brought to you by the Summit Center. Get out there and check out the best autism care across Western New York. Everything
1: helps when it comes to the Summit Center. And our show is also brought to you today by Larson Timco Funeral Home, who is committed to providing their community with the best possible service in their time of need, offering 100% fully guaranteed price and pre-arranged funeral plans with live streaming available. You can visit their website at com or give them a call at 716 679 So big thank you to Dave Dengler for sponsoring tonight's show. Yeah, absolutely,
0: as always. Uh, But as you look at, like, so as you turn the page here, so there's a lot to go on. There's a lot to discuss uh, across the receiver room. It's a big position, and there's been so much discussion about should the Bills go light at the bit? Should they go with these wily old veterans and, and try to overhaul? They have Josh Allen. Should they sink significant assets? Are they going to put all their assets into the defense Thus, um, you know, maybe skimping at the receiver room like it's they tended to do in a way, uh, but they felt pretty good at the receiver room when you're returning Gabe Davis and you're returning other players. You know, now they don't have that luxury. Now they're looking at a scenario to where you have to worry about Stefan Diggs and what his contract means. Um, And there's been so much discussion around this. Uh, You know, you hear, quite frankly, every three to six months, Another topic comes up to where does Diggs want to be traded And this week? It was the Pro Bowl games, Kevin. Uh, He made a couple of comments like he's got to wait and see and see what happens and a couple of other terms that he used uh, there. And a lot of times it's like he can say whatever he wants. It doesn't really matter what he says. Uh, But at some point, um, you know, you'd like to see Diggs say something like, yep, under contract for four years, excited to get back to the team. Um, the financial sides, whatever. Uh, looking forward to looking forward to playing, even if it's not true, because ultimately it, it squashes any bugs. Do you have any problems with kind of how Diggs portrays himself
1: in the media, or are you someone that just doesn't really care? I think I fall right in the middle because I will say right now, I do not want to trade Stefan Diggs. I think that he will be a Buffalo Bill next year, and I think this gets blown out of proportion every single time. But I do see both sides because. Stefan Diggs could easily shut it down and say, well, you guys stop already. I've told you how I felt. And he did. And I want to talk about what he said with Cameron Wolf because I think this is a perfect example of what Stefan Diggs does. But, you know, I think he could shut it down better than he does. But that's not to say that he doesn't shut it down. It's just a weird type of situation, because if you saw that interview, I could play the audio if you guys want. But. The interview started cameron wolf asked him about the end of the season saying you know he had some time to decompress obviously they're upset they want to come back next year they have a lot of talent and then he asked him about josh allen and then that's when dig said i've said how i felt about this multiple times i don't need to answer this anymore aka i'm tired of this i told you i love josh allen he's the best quarterback in the league end of story but then he says okay well i gotta ask you this one final question for me stefan a lot of questions about your contract. What can you say about that? And his first answer was, I don't know. And as soon as he said that, that perks up everyone's ears. And you're like, what do you mean he doesn't know? Is he Does he want out of Buffalo? Uh, What's going on? So that's like the interesting contrast here with Diggs, where he'll say enough to where you think that he wants to be in Buffalo, but then he won't say enough to where there's still time for a little bit of speculation and people are trying to read in between the lines. And it's like, well, I know he said that he's tired of these rumors, but at the same time, he also said, I don't know, when he asked him about the contract. So I try to not read into it because as we will get into tonight, his contract is just untradeable. The debt cap is just so heavy. He's not going anywhere. And that's a good
0: segue into the contract. Um, so as you look at the contract and the way it's structured, he has an $18.5 million base salary owed to him this season. Pretty straightforward. You get that divided by however many weeks the team plays, um, which is 18, including your buy. And you just get that evenly. So essentially, he's a little bit over a million dollars every time he, he he suits up. Interesting contract. I mean, it's pretty, uh, plays a million dollars a game. He gets paid uh, in cash to, to, to perform. Pretty straightforward. Nothing crazy there. Uh, he's got a little workout bonus, a quarter million, a little, uh, but $250,000 workout bonus. Um, and the biggest thing to the Digs deal that most people, I don't think, I, I guess I don't know if I hear about it enough. Um, I'm not really sure, but it's salary guarantees. So the second that the new league year starts, that salary guarantees in full. So meaning that 18 and a half million guarantees, no matter what happens, uh, he's locked up. As long as he's on the roster at that point, which he's going to be with the contract, the full salary guarantees in full. So there's no at that point, there's nothing that you can do. Whoever has him has to pay him his full salary, right? In this case, and most likely going to be the Buffalo Bills. Um, but also, what's interesting about the way he's structured is obviously you see the restructure side. That means he's already restructured, he pushed out some money to the future um a couple of times. You see it earlier on in his career, and then you saw it again um, most recently last year, where he, he he pushed out a little small base salary into future years. So what needs to be remembered here is to restructure him, you're going to take that 18 and a half million and you're going to use a minimum base salary. So $17.3 million is, is the most that you can push out into future years. You divide that by four years as a bonus, or four, uh, yeah, four years as a bonus, and it's split evenly in each of the years. So you can save significant money um, taking that base salary you see there, $18.5 million, and spreading it over this year as a bonus, and then the future years as well. He has three years remaining. Um, so What's 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 great to know about his contract, too, though, is he's only really owed the $19 million in cash that you see there in yearly cash. That's how much money he actually makes. He doesn't make the cap hit. That is how much the bills owe in their accounting towards Stefan Diggs. $19 million is what he gets paid in actual dollars this season. So a new team could say, huh, $18.5 million is all I have to pay Stefan Diggs? All right, like you're going to eat the rest of it already. Um, that's a pretty solid deal. So a lot of times I hear, Kevin, you know, no one's going to eat this contract. Like you're going to have to trade a pick with him. Um, like this is not the NBA. Always remember that. You do not have to trade a pick with a player. The team acquiring the player gets the all the dead cap hit pushed onto the trading team. So you get to all you need to worry about when you look at what you acquire in a trade is that yearly cash column. So essentially, you're getting Diggs now at a $19 million rate. Diggs, you know, quite frankly, probably feels like he's worth mid-20s, upper-20s. He's already been paid that in the form of different bonuses throughout his contract. So you're going to get him at a reduced rate of $18.5 million. So that would be the reason someone would call you up and want to trade for him. Now, why the bills are saying... You're you're gonna have to pay me a fortune is because they're eating 31 million dollars this year. Now, what's 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 tough to remember is his contract can't stay as is. So most people realize that with Stefan Diggs. You either have to restructure him or trade him and take the and, and eat it all now, and then basically not operate till June 1st. So those are really Brandon Beans, or I guess there's a third option of approaching him and trying to get him to take cuts and different forms of of upfront payments in return for cuts. I mean, I don't really see why he would do that. At that point, he would probably force a trade. So that's probably out. So really, there's only two options that you have. You approach him. You don't even need him to approach him. You just take that 18 and a half. You, you take out the vet minimum. Um, and then you, you you put the rest in a bonus. That is your option. Or you trade him and you, and you, and you take the poison pill now. Um, and you wait till June 1st and you get a bunch of money back on June 1st. And you have money to play with at that point. But most people don't realize that on June 1st, yes, you have to hold this contract until then. But on June 1st, you'd free up a ton of money um, that you could go and operate your team with. You can make a trade. You could see who's left in free agency. There is a bunch of stuff that you can do. Um, but, Kevin, I want to ask you, you're pretty firm on he's not going anywhere. But that means you need to uh, restructure him that. So you need to do it exactly what I'm saying. And you need to push $4.3 million in each of those future columns that you see on the screen. So, his dead cap hit next year goes up 4.3 million, basically making it even with his cap hit. So, once again, you're in a situation to where next year it's not $31 million he's going to be dead for. It's going to be around 27. So, you don't really do much for yourself. So, you need him again. So, if you restructure him, you're in the same bind next year. So, Kevin, wh- how do you feel about knowing that now? That knowing that, like, if you do keep him, you have to restructure him. And then if you restructure him, you're in a situation to where You're looking at 27 million dead next year. You really don't take anything off that dead cap hit next season.
1: Well, before I answer that, let me ask, do you think that they have to restructure him to keep him? Because we went through a bunch of different scenarios where they can clear up 23 by restructuring Josh Allen's contract. They can extend Taron Johnson, Russell Douglas, Deion Dawkins. Can they just stay away from Stefan Diggs and go with this this contract as is? Or do you think, if Stefan Diggs is on the bills next year, they have to rework his contract at some capacity. Yes. Yep. You have
0: to. So the, the argument, that's the argument against why you wouldn't trade him because you can't operate uh essentially without trading without, if you trade him, you can't operate because you don't get the benefit of restructuring him. Um You do take the pill now. And essentially you don't have to worry about anything in future years. And you would obviously re- receive a pick, but you ain't doing anything. Um, You're going to get to the cap floor or excuse me, that you're going to get right to the cap. And you're going to stay put um, and you're going to essentially make a few low budget deals. You're going to scrap and claw all the way till June 1st. You're going to you know, sign your draft class uh, and then you're going to have some good operating money at that point. But what's left for you, I guess you could hit the trade market. You could do a couple of different things then, but you're not operating in the spring. So that's the risk you take, whether you don't restructure him or you trade him. So those are the two biggest risks with either of those same scenario. So you have, to, if you keep the player, you have to, uh, Restructure. I mean, it just you just do so, which would mean you're in this boat again next year because now you're taking uh 17.5 million roughly, and you're pushing it into 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 three years beyond from now. So now it's a, essentially you can put a little bit into this year, but you're putting four million dollars into next year, and it's a huge huge number to where you don't really mostly as you go down the line in an NFL deal that dead cap hit goes down and down and down to where it's manageable to cut or trade in. You restructure him though, and you're ballooning that contract still at around twenty seven million in daddy cap. We're having the same discussion a little bit less than this year, but you're essentially having the same exact discussion. And now you didn't cash out for an asset, so that's the decision that Brandon Bean's going to have to go with. What assets he worth today? Do they even want to entertain that? And then essentially, what is like? There's really no other option but uh, but really kicking more money down the road. What, what,
1: would you, what do you think, Kevin? Like, where do you stand? Are you okay with kicking more down the road? I mean, I guess. I, I'm still under the impression that it's okay to just leave it as is because then I'm also thinking about how do you approach him? And it's not that Stefan Diggs is unapproachable, but I think we've made this point before. Like, do you really want to keep kicking money down the can? And do you want to potentially get him angry and say, we want to rework your deal? That's why I think, like, can't you just leave it alone? But, I mean, you're saying you that, yeah. Yeah, there's 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 not another option. So the option is you
0: trade him uh, and, you, and you eat the money. Or the, he doesn't need to be, a, by the way, on the restructure front, he doesn't need to be approached. It's a paper transaction. Basically, he gets $17.5 million up front the day that the bills put it through the paperwork. He gets it in cash into his bank account. There's no reason for him to complain about that. A restructure does not need his approval. It is generally in the contract language, especially for guys that have huge cap hits. So there's no, he doesn't need to even be approached. Now, what you would need to approach him for is if you're trying to lower his pay, do an extension beyond what he has now, rework some numbers, I mean, push some future money down the road and somehow clear up money. There's a way that that could work. That is the scenario you're talking about, which I do not believe would be a scenario that happens either you're going to go all in and trade him or you're just going to restructure him and keep your receiver one so are you I guess the ultimate question is are you if you keep him you have to you have to restructure him so are you okay with
1: that having to do this discussion this time next year essentially yes I am because with only a few receivers under contract and with Gabe Davis most likely not coming back you need Stefan Diggs Because as much as we need to rebuild the wide receiver room, and we're going to talk about some potential options tonight on this show, you're not going to get addition by subtraction. If you get rid of Stefan Diggs, what do you have left? Because right now, it's Deontay Hardy, Justin Shorter, Andy Isabella. I mean, what are we doing here? So, you know, Bean will definitely try to fill some holes in free agency. He should definitely draft one high. but. I don't see how this is going to be beneficial to get rid of Stefan Diggs. So that's why I'm here to just try to shut this down tonight and say he's not going anywhere. I guess, you know, for your point, you're saying that you can trade him. I just think he's untradeable. I think he's a Buffalo Bill no matter what next year. I'm sure some crazy things could happen. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I am very confident that Stefan Diggs will be a Buffalo Bill in 2024. Right. So I yeah, guess to answer your question, yeah, sure. Restructure them. Do okay. do whatever it has to
0: take. And that's what it would take. So the only other solution to the whole scenario is like you're you're getting crazy. Like you're restructuring Vaughn, which I don't know why you would do that um over Stefan Diggs. Um you're you know, you're making money with with Dawkins, you're approaching White and probably cutting him. So yeah, there are ways to not touch Diggs, but essentially you're creating holes on your rot like deep holes on your roster where I just like doing something with Knox. Like there's just a couple of not smart things you can do to really avoid, um, to avoid this, this discussion here tonight. Uh, but I just don't think any of them make any sense at all. Like you can cut Morse. So yeah, like there's scenarios to where you can do it. Um, I just, I, it's it just, it doesn't make sense. You're just avoiding it to avoid it at this stage because you'd rather cut a bunch of players and restructure other guys and, and not deal with the receiver. One doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, because you're essentially gonna have to pull pull the pull the lever on everything else and thus put you in a bad equitable position all because you want to avoid digs. I don't know that that's the way that they'll go. I think you'd rather have a receiver one locked up and I agree with you I don't I do not believe they trade him. Uh, I just don't think they have the operating cash, but you can do a scenario where if they do pull those other levers, um, I mean 23 million without digs, you're pulling literally everything and cutting a bunch of guys. I don't know. That's that's a rebuild. Essentially, you're cutting your center. You're doing something with Knox. Uh, you're letting White go. No Neal. No Hardy. I mean, you're basically cutting up your. I mean, you got to do something with Taron Johnson and Dawkins. Um, I don't. I, I don't know what what world. Those are all the greatest moves ever. And then you have to do something with Vaughn. Now you're kicking Vaughn's money down the road. I don't know about that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's just easier to kind of approach um, approach Diggs situation, not the player. And figure out what you want to do. I'd rather if if those are the moves you'd rather make. I'd rather you trade the play or get a get a get a high draft pick and just draft. Um, but I don't believe Brandon Bean will do that. Um, so how are you feeling
1: at the rest of the room when it comes to Shakir? Are you feeling where does I he sit on the depth chart? I totally gloss over Shakir. That is my bad because he showed up and showed out. So we do have Khalil Shakir. So right now it's Diggs, Shakir, Hardy, Shorter, and we're thinking that the Bills are gonna probably have a cap casualty with Deontay Hardy because we talked about this before. It's either Naeem Hines or Deontay Hardy. And it seems like they're pretty high on the Naeem Hines. So it seems like Hardy will be the odd man out. So then if you want to throw Isabella in there, KJ Hamler, I guess technically they are on the depth chart. So it's pretty thin right now. You need Stefan Diggs. You, You do. Otherwise you're doing a lot of different things
0: just to avoid the scenario of, of, of digs, I mean, look, the big one to me is Na'im Hines. The Bills said they want to keep him. You can save a bunch. He's owed five point one million dollars against the cap this year, and four point six if you cut him. I have no idea where the, why the Bills think that they're going to roster him, or but uh, but essentially they believe him to be better than Hardy um, in terms of what he can offer this roster. I mean, that's a quick five mil you can save right there. Uh, but they definitely need to approach him for a pay cut. Uh, essentially, that's what you're going to need to do to free up some more money. It's a weird scenario. Why? I mean, he's coming off of a pretty um, uh, bad injury to his knee uh, on a jet ski, and someone ran into him. Um, a pretty, pretty bad story, unfortunate for him. Um, they can do something with Rasul Douglas. That's a big one. So, Bean's going to be busy $9.9 million um, for Rasul Douglas. That's going to change. So, there's definitely money to be had. Um, I just don't think the avenues to free up actual cap space the other avenues are very good Avoiding if you avoid digs. And, and look, if you do the other moves, um, essentially, then don't touch him. But I just don't think there's a world that that's really realistic other than just trying to say I'm avoiding digs. There's really no wor- world that that exists where you wouldn't touch him. Um, and if you would, that would make it more plausible to even trade him. If you end up clearing $23 million, that means you're redoing your roster. You may even trade him at that point to take a draft choice. Um, and then you're going to free up a ton of money on June 1st. You're actually going to be sitting pretty on the cap um, if you do uh, every move necessary. But you look at the totality of the receiver room beside Diggs, and you mentioned it. So you have Shakir. You're pretty comfortable with him being one of your top three options, right? Do you see him as a receiver three in the slot? Or are you somebody that says, no, I think
1: he's our receiver two? No, he's wide receiver three in the slot. He can platoon with Kincaid. And you need to find a wide receiver too. That's why I am so high on drafting one within the first two rounds, preferably in the first round. So, the way I see it, the depth chart will look like Diggs, one rookie, two Shakir, three free agent, four either shorter, five or shorter, six. And then hopefully, another rookie, maybe a free agent, but you can kind of flip flop those between five and six. So, let's just say they draft two wide receivers and sign one. So, I'm thinking that if the Bills were to trot out tomorrow or, you know, whenever all these transactions are finished, this would be one, rookie two, Shakir three, free agent four, shorter five, rookie six, and then still have Isabella and Hamler on the practice squad. Maybe they carry seven. I don't think so. But I would feel pretty confident if that's my depth chart. If you get rid of Diggs, I'm not confident. You have a lot of work to do. Yeah, essentially, the way
0: around that would be you would essentially have enough money somehow to approach a vet in June after his salary then is not counted. So you'd be in one of those scenarios to where you're looking at like an OBJ or something like that, somebody that's holding on um, like they did this year. Um, Or someone that's you know waiting or trade candidate, Uh, maybe somebody becomes available like they usually do. So those are kind of the scenarios there. But but Kevin, you're basically then you're definitely drafting two, and you're drafting two very high. You're definitely drafting two of your first three rounds uh, to the receiver position because all you'd have there is Shakir and a developmental player and shorter really. So you 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 would have to take two high, and this is a good class to need them. I mean, I've seen – now I've seen boards across the, 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 the world with different styles of rankings. Like, I never thought I'd see a board that didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. And, um, like, and Malik Neighbors like, high. Like, I don't know. But people are now ranking these guys differently. Maybe they're hearing something. Maybe not. But if you think that, you know, Xavier Leggett is number one on your board, like, that's great because that means that there's going to be a lot of talented players in the first round as, as in the receiver room. And the bills are going to be able to do something with that. So I agree. I uh, I'm in agreement with your receiver room as of this point. I think you do need to do something with the Stig situation. I think that they're going to leave it alone for this year, but next year that it is going to become more of a reality at some point
1: to do something with this situation. So now, let me ask you this again because I know I've already asked you this, but I've been seeing a lot of comments from our fans so I just want to ask you one more time so we're clear when you're saying that they have to restructure digs now is that just for salary cap reasons or is there one other like main reason because a lot of people in the comments are saying well you could just restructure this player or that player that player and leave digs alone so when you were answering that question are you saying that just because of the salary cap situation or is there something else that's intertwined in there
0: no, it's just for the salary cap. He frees up the most of anybody beside Josh, which you're, okay. I mean, just doing, just use, say Josh is going to get done as a paper transaction. Pagula is going to have to write a pretty big check to Josh Allen in March. Uh, it just is what it is. Uh, but even doing just Josh, you're still $24 million negative after the Josh Allen restructure. So what are the bills going to do from that stage? While the most, like you, you kind of look at it, if you got to do a lot of work to do just to avoid doing something with digs. So restructuring Diggs puts his base salary. Um, you know, you're going to restructure out 17.3 million dollars of that. So essentially you save thirteen point three million dollars, by far the second most money you can save behind Diggs' or, um, behind Josh's 24 million. So that's the You're saying between the, the two players, you can clear up thirty-seven million right there. Correct, which basically, and then you cut Hardy and uh Stran Neal, and you're basically at um, you're basically at the number four, like you're pretty close to it. Yeah. Like you're, you're still got work to do after all the bonuses were paid out and all the, the, the official numbers were, were put in uh, but cutting Ben Hardy and Neil, you, you need to do, you're still at 7 million over. So you still got a little bit of work to do, but leaving digs alone and you're doing a lot of work to, to, to you're paying a ton of money up front to other players. You can't touch Vaughn. You can't push any money of Vaughn's. Like you can't do that. Like that's, that's the other problem. Um, if you could restructure Vaughn, um, then you'd be in good shape where the bills were hoping to have $17.1 million. He's going to have a cap hit of 23 million. Uh, you do not want to take his 17 million and spread it over the course of his few years remaining. That is not the way you want to go. Um, but you can save a significant amount of money, not even as much as digs, but you can save another 11.6 million if you restructure him, but
1: really you're in a bad spot
0: with him next year.
1: If you do that, so and he has an out after this year, right? So, like, you would want to just have him be done after Correct. this third season with the bills, and then you're just you, you have him as a cap casualty. If, is that what if you accept exce- or
0: if you um um restructure him, you do not no longer have an out, so you're pushing too much money down the road to where that out is not available any longer because so you already oh that would here. just
1: be they would essentially cut him, right? He would be an out means an out
0: means you can cut him against, um, against his dad cap. Isn't high, meaning that you, you won't take a big hit. So when you have an out, that means you're, you don't have any guaranteed money left. You don't have any money that that's owed to you that has been paid to you. That needs to be paid to you. You can be cut. All that's really left is a bloated base salary. So at that point you, you, you cut the player. That's an out. Essentially it's saying like it's a bloated number. He's probably not going to see that deal unless it's re, uh, actually not even just restructured a whole new deal. So that's another thing. I mean, I think, I think Brandon Bean has to approach Von Miller and say, what are we doing with your deal, man? Like, you know, we got, we got to come up with something. We want you on the team. We want you to be starting defensive end, coming back off of injury. We need you. We don't want to create another hole when we're already losing two defensive ends. Um, what can you do for us against the cap? And I think that, that, you know, Vaughn has sat himself into meetings trying to recruit players. I think he understands the cap ramifications of the situation to where he's going to make his team uncompetitive um, if he doesn't do something with his contract. So I think that there will be different than Diggs. I do think that there will be a discussion with Vaughn about like, can we do some form of pay? Can we pay you a lot of money already? Like we let you rehab. Like, is there anything we can do here? And even if it's cut some of it, um, I think that that is a good discussion to have in return like let's you know you'll be on the roster this year you're going to get a starting spot we're going to pay you a good amount of money but we need to do something with your base salary like it's just too high and we cannot restructure you like we can other players we just don't know how well you're going to perform this season uh you know we kind of gave you your mulligan season off of that bad injury you were playing well prior to that i just cannot take your 17 million dollar base salary and spread it over the remainder of your of your deal it's just not economical because Already that out has kind of dissipated from where it was when they first signed the deal next year, Kevin he's $15 million dead on the cap and he's owed 23. So you can only free up as it is about eight and a half million cutting him. You can't kick any more money or, or officially you got to roster him again next year and probably and beyond. So the bills need to approach him and say, you're making 17 million. What can we do? Like you have a total of this year and three more on the, on the docket can we just cut some of your out, base out like straight up instead of restructuring it down the road? Um, we'll guarantee it or something, you know, if you're on the roster or whatever it may be. Um, but I need to take that 17 and make it nine or 10 or 11, even, like work with us. Um, but I, I do believe that's a more likely scenario than touching Von Miller's contract for sure. So you'll say, Hey man, you take 5 million off for us. Like we, we want you on this roster. That's, that's the move.
1: Now, I want to go back to Stefan Diggs for a moment because when he had that quote with Cameron Wolfe, I think, as I said at the beginning of this show, this is a perfect example of this whole Stefan Diggs, I don't want to call it saga, but I'll call it a situation because it's been going on for a couple of years now, heightened by the Bills' layoff losses. So when he said, I don't know, well, the reason why he doesn't know is because, what, we've been on for about a half hour right now? going through all the different scenarios and the ramifications about how to save money, what the bills are going to have to do against a cap. So I'm fine mm-hmm. with that answer. Now I would have felt a little bit better. Not going to lie. If he said, stop, I'm shutting it down right now. I'm on the Buffalo bills next year. And then he could have said, I don't know how Brandon bean will have to re maybe rework my deal at, at some point. That's a little bit out of my ballpark, but either way, I'm on the Buffalo bills. So Diggs didn't take that next step. If it were me, I probably would have because I like talking and I I think I'm usually pretty good at being personable with people, but not everyone is like that. So Stefan Diggs is very good at saying enough, but not too much. So when he said, I don't know, my first thought was, well, I don't know either because who knows what's going on in Brandon Bean's head. But then you get people, they say, oh my God, he said, I don't know. Is he getting traded? Uh, What should we do? Are we drafting a wide receiver one? What's going on? Uh, You know, and it's like, whoa, calm down, calm down, because he didn't say anything bad. So I think that's how people get kind of stuck in this position. We're on one side. I see it, and it's like, Stefan Diggs is fine. He's shut down these rumors multiple times. We don't need to keep worrying. But then on the other side, it's like, well, he could have said a little bit more just to, you know, kind of block out those naysayers. So all that to say Stefan Diggs is going to be on the Buffalo bills in 2024. Well, there you go. So you could say it. Why couldn't he? So I think essentially
0: the answer is just because we're talking, we're talking about how to save cap space for the bills right now. He doesn't need to worry about that. He needs to be like, I'm part of the bills. Like it's, it shouldn't be an, I don't know scenario. It should be, I'll do whatever I can to help the, the, the situation. Uh, when I talk to the general manager, he's going to get his money. He's going to either get 18 and a half million dollars up front. Um, Or, or he's going to get traded. So we've just talked about here for the first part of the show, he's not getting traded. We both have agreed and we just don't see any way for it to, to happen. Um, But I just don't see the the reason why he can't just say, I got four more years. I like it there. Like it just, you just don't need to to say there isn't anything you don't know. Like you do know, like you can look at your contract that you can pull up spot track and see that you're not going anywhere. Like there's really no reason for an answer. Now, The only way out, he could eventually, at some point, I don't know if it's this year, could be next year. Say I want to trade, and then the Bills would have to do something with his deal. Have to redo it, and then trade him. Like there, there'd be a whole new slew of discussion here if, for some reason, like there is more adamantly a trade because um, something would need to be traded. Something would need to happen because thirty-one million. There's nothing the Bills can do
1: to avoid that scenario. So, and and I agree. I mean, I think he easily could have just said. I am under contract by the Buffalo Bills, end of story. But to my point, I think Diggs likes the attention because he knows that he's saying enough, right? Because he said, I love Josh Allen. I don't need to speak on that anymore. Can you speak on your contract? Well, I don't really know. That's up to Brandon Bean. Okay, he did enough to answer the question. But see, someone like me, I would probably take it a step further and explain myself a little bit more. But I don't really care about the attention. I just want to be honest and upfront with people. Diggs and other wide receivers i'm not going to go as far as calling them divas but those kinds of personalities like to be cryptic in a way and they like to leave you with the cliffhanger and and want you wanting more talking about so them. yeah so i think Diggs said okay i'm going to give them enough but not too much because if i give them too much it's going to be the end of the story and that'll be it if i let them sit with this this story will keep circulating. And honestly, I don't mind that because what else are we going to talk about? So go ahead, talk about me all you want. I know that I'm going to be with the Buffalo bills, but I'm not telling you every single thought that's going on in my mind right now. So I think that's why digs does it. Could be. And say he's penciled as receiver. one. now you have
0: receiver one and receiver three. This will be a discussion next year. So, you know, as of right now, we both agree I don't think there's really a realistic way. And I don't think the compensation for the trade will match what the Bills will need for $31 million. Bills are going to say, you're getting a receiver one. You're going to get them at $18.5 million. You don't really have to do much. You got to give us pay us for. for, And I don't think they're going to get the appropriate compensation. So it doesn't really matter. If the Bills, if we were in a bank where the Bills could get the first and a third, I mean, I think the discussion may change a little bit at that point. Um, but let's just assume that they cannot get it. Um, we have to move along that he's receiver one. It just doesn't make any other sense. And now you have to restructure him and really deal with it next year. But, but the benefits of restructuring it now, okay, let's put aside, not we're going to win it all. Uh, let's, let's not worry about the negatives next year are that you're going to free up a bunch of cap space and you're going to free it up quickly. You're going to free up a lot of money right then and there, uh, lowering his cap down to 14 million, uh, freeing up a bunch of money. So, I mean, look, it doesn't really, um, overly worrisome. We'll worry about it again next year, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. So I do believe he is on your roster um, going forward, and you're going to save a, you know $13 million. So take that right off the bank. You're now in the positive with him and a couple of other moves. Um, what do you want to do with like, are you extending if in your perfect world, are you going to extend Dawkins and
1: Johnson to, to lower their cap hits? Are you doing that move, Kevin? I think I will. Now I okay. haven't gone through my full offseason wish list and cap casualties and how to sort the money around, because again, the bills are about $44 million over the cap. So they have to save 44 million just to get back to the floor. And then they have to save an additional 35 to 40 million so that they can spend on the free agency class and the draft class. So when it's all said and done, Brandon Bean has to clear up about $80 million. So. Within the next few weeks, I'm going to go through player by player and see exactly what I want to do because I love this. Let me go on a quick tangent for a sec. I was telling you before the show, I've needed a break the last few weeks because it was just too much. like I got drained. So I've done a good job of kind of distancing myself from the football world. Didn't watch the Pro Bowl at all this week. And I've been doing a lot of broadcasting for local high school basketball and Fredonia State Athletics. So I've been on the basketball mindset and it's been very refreshing. So slowly but surely, I'll be getting back into football mode and towards the end of the month. And then obviously early March, I want to go hard and try to figure out who the Bills could target in free agency, how much money they can save, what they can do here, what they can do there. And then based on that, what their draft class could look like, because I love this stuff, but. I needed, I needed to get away for a little bit because it was getting to be a little bit too much.
0: Yeah. And we'll do a free agent special in a few weeks. Don't worry about it. Like we're, we're probably going to shoot for a full free agency special in a couple of weeks and we'll get into all the facts and figures who we want, who we don't want. What are we going to do with Morse? So we'll get into more of that at a, at a later day, but you know, more focusing today on the receiver room. And I think that I, it's, it's very obvious that I am not one of those people who are like, I like this class. We'll get a third round guy. You know, look at all the production out of the fourth and fifth round you can get with Puka Nakua. And, uh, you know, we're going to be the one that gets that this year. And, you know, I'm looking really good. I think we can score, you know, at 99, I think we can get a, a top guy. Like, look, those are all possibilities. But I think you need to go out and hedge your bet and minimize your risk and take a guy fairly early. The only reason I don't want one at 28 is if you for sure have somebody on your board that you need to fill a hole with and then guarantee me you're taking one in the second, fine, because there is talent. But beyond that, I get squirrely. Like, I need you to add a top-flight receiver, and I also need you to do it in free agency. I, I think the thing the team was missing, and even in the playoffs with Davis out, I think they needed that vet receiver. Their, their two players, Hardy and Shurfield, just didn't get it done. I think you need a tick better than that, Kevin. I think you need to go one notch above that. Would you agree with that statement, or are you, you full in on rookies?
1: Oh, for sure. That's why I'm thinking – that you have to address it in free agency and the draft. Now, I will say, I've done some preliminary research because my one of my coping mechanisms after the Bills' loss was, let me go on spot track. let's go look at the free agency list because I want to make myself feel better and tell myself that the Bills are signing Michael Pittman. They're not going to, I don't think. I know he trains with Josh Allen, so that's a possibility. But the way I see it was... You know, this is interesting because we could talk about this for a little bit as well, because Chris Trapasso had LaVisca Chanel as his top option in free agency. And I don't agree with that. But his second and third options were my first and second. Noah Brown and Kendrick Bourne. Because for the reasons that we just laid out, I don't think the Bills are going to have a lot of money to work with, first of all. And second of all, how they address free agency determines how they address the draft. Because if you go out and sign someone like Michael Pittman, you are giving a big contract, a big term, and a lot of financial, um, you know, financial, uh whatever it's called. You're, you're putting a lot of finance into that investment. Yeah, thank you. So you're investing a lot in that player, which means you're probably not going to draft one early. So if they sign someone like a Mike Evans or a Michael Pittman, That means they might draft defense again, because why would you spend all that capital on a first round pick? So that's why I think that I want to see them go be the bargain bin, not necessarily Trent Sherfield, Deontay Hardy, a tick above. That's why I'm saying Kendrick Bourne, Noah Brown, veterans stretch the field vertically. And that means that a, you did fill those holes, but based on the BPA best player available, you can still go draft that wide receiver one without feeling that you put too much capital into that position.
0: I think those are some interesting names. I would go like, I mean, I think Noah Brown's in the right range. I mean, Kendrick Bourne just has not put together. Like he's had some good moments. I just don't know. Like if he really, I would go like one slight tick above that. So before you get into the, I just don't think they can play in the Curtis Samuel. And I've seen Curtis Samuel float around a lot. Like, he still yeah, had a projection of, of 11 million. Like maybe he'll get a tick less than that, but I am nowhere near that for him. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I think he's a nice player. Could be nice. He's had some moments. He's still only getting five, 600 yards. Like this isn't a situation where you're getting a Pittman. Like I'm out on him at that price. Like he, is, I'm even more out on him than I am Gabe Davis or Calvin Ridley or Pittman. Like I'm like out on that range of player, like, like Tyler Boyd, for instance, or like, I just don't think that's the right style of player that nine to 12 million, like you might as well get a guy that's better than that. If you're going to spend that type of money, unless they really aren't going to um, cost money. Like their market is really sunk. Josh Reynolds is interesting to me. You kind of like, he was really good all year. Got like had a couple goofy plays there in the, in the, in the uh, NFC championship game. Uh, but he was really fairly solid this season. And I think he'll cost a tick less than Curtis Samuel. And he played a little bit better to me than like a Noah Brown, um, you know, 608 yards five touchdowns like you look at Odell Beckham jr what's gonna happen with him he was an interesting one that you know this team has, has has courted in the past and likes what did he do for himself could he finally see himself onto the bills like that's an interesting discussion of like a guy that you could get at this stage finally that yes he made about 15 million aAV last year is he more now in that seven range like where is he because that becomes interesting there? I like KJ Osborne a lot, but he's younger and his projection, he had a really good time filling in for, uh, for Jefferson. I think that with his age, he's going to get a tick too much, but then you kind of wind up in that Darnell Mooney range. So, well, he's, he's kind of interesting. Take a lot of snaps only had 414 yards and one touchdown this year. Projected probably for more than you'd like. So like at some point you got to land somewhere. Um, And that's what's that's, what's interesting about this free agency class, because to me it's better than usual. Like you got guys like Mike Evans, um, you know, and you're probably going to have a cap casualty in Keenan Allen. What happens with him? uh, And you have just so much talent sitting at the top of this board, Pittman, Calvin Ridley, Gabe Davis, uh, T Higgins, than you normally do. Like those guys, like the best player usually is like one Christian Kirk and not much else, like Alan Lazard. Like there's not much else there. So those are a lot of good options. So that's maybe like Marquise Brown's another one. Like he is a pure scheme fit. Like why wouldn't I pay for Marquise Brown over some of those names like KJ Osborne or some of those guys that I think are going to get a little bit more than they they should like uh, Mooney. Like I don't really know where the difference is there between some of those guys and even Josh Reynolds, Curtis Samuel. Like at some point it's, it's like, I mean, Marquise Brown's just better and would do a lot more for this offense in my opinion. Uh, it, it, these guys cannot, with the cap the way it is and these winning teams, like somebody's going to be left out in musical chairs. And that's really where I'm focusing on like a Marquise Brown to really watch his market. And if he's one that gets paid, for instance, okay, let me continue to watch the market. What's going on with OBJ? What's going on with Josh Reynolds, Curtis Samuel? Where are those guys going to end up? Because uh, I'm really focusing, Mooney, because I'm really focusing Tyler Boyd, Keenan Allen, if he gets cut, he's owed a lot of money. So the Chargers can say whatever they want about keeping him. Um, even if it's not the bills, number one option, he's going to play a role in where he goes, thus opening up another receiver. But I think that there could be some really solid interest if he's released and the bills could really, uh, decide that they want to go that route. The, the, the charger saved $23 million letting him go. That's we talked about Diggs is 13. It's about double that. So it's tough to me to think that, 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 that he's going to be on the roster at $34 million. Um, They'd have to basically give him a pretty sizable extension at a 32 years old in order to lower that cap hit, give him enough years. I guess that could be in the card, but they're a team that's 60 million over as well. I don't, I, I think I see him hitting free agency. So are you like, so are you still feeling like you want to be more in that Kendrick Bourne range or is one of those names like, maybe I want to entertain that if we could get there.
1: You know, I don't want to lock into a specific player just yet, but I do want to lock into a specific price range. Because okay. I think anywhere between four and eight million is what we're looking at. Maybe even five to nine, somewhere within that range. Because if you look at last year's for agency class, Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy, they were in that two to four million dollar range. And that was clearly not enough, as we saw in the divisional round. But I think it's too much if you're going double digits. And that's why I said even eight or nine million might be pushing it based on the quality of players. So we'll just say double figures to make it easier. So that's why I think the bills are out on Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, T. Higgins, Keenan Allen, to your point. So I think that sweet spot is anywhere between five and eight million dollars. So is that Kendrick Bourne? Is that Noah Brown? Is that to your point, Curtis Samuel or Marquise Brown? Because I think Marquise Hollywood Brown is perfect for this offense, but yes. can you get him for that price? I think my perfect contract would be two years, 14 million, AAV of seven million per year. Who can you get for seven million per year? Is Marquise Brown going to want more? Is OBJ going to want more? Curtis Samuel? Let me give you a name for you to think about, and it's going to be an interesting one that hits home for Bills
0: fans, and he's just a dominant in the slot. It's Tyler Boyd. People feel like he's 40. He's 29. Um, like He's, he's younger, younger than Biggs. Yes. <laughs> he's not 400. Like It feels like that because the Bills made the playoffs in 17, but don't forget, he was – he in 2017 he only had uh, 225 yards and two touchdowns. He was a fairly second year player at that point when the when he won the uh the game to beat the Ravens to send the Bills to the playoffs. Like he wasn't, you know, he actually expanded on that to have two back-to-back 1000-yard seasons um and then, you know, 800-yard seasons pretty pretty formidably. You know what the Bills are like about him, Kevin? He's a slot fiend, so so he would really be enjoyed by Josh Allen. He's like in that Emmanuel Sanders mold, 6'2", 203. He Gets soaks up targets, ninety eight targets, even last year with his uh, seven hundred, only seven hundred yards. But more importantly, he doesn't miss football games, and the Bills will really. He's only missed two over the last four years. Uh, the Bills will really like the availability come late in the season and what he's able to do, um, and how he's able to help out a team. He's been one of those weapons that Burrow can rely on when you see Higgins go down for a game. Well, he missed a bunch of games this year, or when you see, um, you know, in the past Chase miss a game or two. To me, I think it's the right range. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, oh, I need Tyler Boyd. Like he's the guy I want. And he, but he's a slot fiend. He's really good. He reminds me of of, of a similar style of Emmanuel Sanders, but yet more in that Cole Beasley slot mold. And he's only going to cost you in the range you just said, like seven. So at some point, that's interesting. That, that's a match. It's not that I'm saying like he's my number one target, but it's just because of the factors you just went through and what the bills need and what the bills can spend. I think all of those point to Tyler board. Yes. You can watch the Hollywood Brown. He's actually who I want is Hollywood Brown. Yes. You can watch Pittman. I think he's going to go for a jillion dollars. Um, But I think what makes him interesting is how dominant he is in the slot. And the bills are always looking to get better there and and do not pigeonhole Shakir as a slot receiver coming out of the draft. He has placed just as many, uh, just as many snaps on the boundary. And he did this year to play more boundary snaps and more people realize this season. He is not just a bill slot receiver. He can do so much more than that. And thus the bills do a rotation and even Diggs comes out of the game. Uh, now, apparently, I don't know if that was due to this year or if that's the way it'll be. Um, but Shakir is a guy that can do a lot of different things for this offense. He's not just a slot guy. Uh, he's six foot. Like he's not just a small slot guy. Like he, he is somebody that can, can go inside, outside, um, and be effective at it. So, whenever you take Boyd off the field, put Shakir there, you put Shakir on the boundary, you can put him in the slot. Um, you know, Sha- Shakir can do a lot of different things for your offense. But I think that the matchup with Boyd can really be a very nice thing in the slot. Maybe you draft the boundary and now you go in with uh, a couple of really good options there. You got Boyd, you got Shakir, you got a rookie that everybody wants, you got Diggs, you got Dawson, uh, Dawson Knox, you got Dalton Kincaid. Uh, I don't know. That's starting to become a much better receiver room um, than you had in the, in the a Chiefs game. So that that's one that gets me excited because I think he's the right age of vet, his production, his cost. And I think that that's really what jumps out to me with a lot of those factors. Um, and they, mainly you can go slot because of the versatility of Shakir that I don't think he gets enough credit for. A lot of people just think that he's a slot receiver. Um, some of his film and what he's able to do would prove that he is a boundary guy and he's going to be trusted like in his third year, like Gabe Davis started to get at least trusted with snaps. So I think that you'll see that this year with Shakir, that he's not just going to be your slot receiver, especially if where the bills add is slot. I think Shakir can get a lot done, but ultimately it's going to be a rotation because they're going to draft the rookie anyways. So there's going to be a rotation in there of four. And I think they're all going to see, you know, whatever it may be, 75% of the 70 to 75% of the snaps anyways. So, you know, even toward the end of the year, Diggs was taking blows. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then you got a shorter in development to see what he can become. Um, And then it becomes kind of interesting. So that's Kevin's plan at the receiver room. I'm eyeing a guy like Boyd. Um, I think he's, no one's talking about him because I think people are pigeonholing Shakir just to be a slot, but I think his veteran presence and what his ability can do um, and be a dominant slot for
1: Josh Allen. Sounds enticing to me, Kevin. How does that how, do, how does that plan sound for you? Well, I, I hear your points, and I agree about Tyler Boyd, but to the fans in the comments here, to their point, I, I agree that it just seems like it's too much of a similarity between Boyd and Shakir. And I'm not going to say that, that signing Boyd would make Shakir expendable because he's obviously younger, and I think he has more upside. So what I will say, though, is if you're saying that there's versatility, and you can put Shakir on the boundary. Well, what are we doing with that? Because the point of this is we're trying to stretch the field vertically. Like we want that speed target for Josh, right? Like we want someone to clear the field out so that digs and hopefully that wide receiver too that we draft can work in the inter- intermediate part of the field. So then when you look at it that way, would you rather have Khalil Shakir or Hollywood Brown on the boundary? And I think that's where fans are getting caught up because I would agree. I would rather have Hollywood Brown and, Let's just say he's too expensive. Curtis Samuel or Khalil Shakir on the boundary. I would take Curtis Samuel because I like Shakir in the slot. So it's just very interesting, and that's why it's so tough to try to match this up, and that's why I love it. I love trying to play the role of Brandon Bean because you might think you have the right fit, money, contract-wise, term, like everything, but then you're like, oh, wait. We kind of have a guy that is also very consistent. He's durable. He catches everything thrown his way. He gobbles up targets. Do you want to get more variants?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's it. Ultimately the, the, no one knows the bills roster. Like, like let's take his rookie season. For example, he played the exact same wide boundary as he did on the slot. So like, I think it's a misconception that he can't, and he played, uh, mainly they needed him in the slot this year. um, But he played 157 snaps this year out wide. So it isn't one of those situations to where he can't do it. And once again, especially this year, they didn't have a guy like that could, that could play the slide. and He had to take it like, um, essentially in the receiver room, at least so in, in certain 11 personnel situations. So that's really where I don't believe that there's, I don't believe there are similar players in many respects. Um, but I could see, I think the bills want to add to the room, like. We didn't really address boundary very well because it was Davis's job. Like, I want to avoid that situation going into your third year because you're like, we got a slot guy and Shakir, that's it. Like, we're done. We're Gucci. Like, there's nothing we need to do. We did that with Davis at boundary, and now look at it. Like, so now the scenario to me is like, yeah, like I agree. I like Shakir. I think he's pretty fast. I think he can be a vertical weapon. Like, just because we used him in the slot, it's always that age old s- situation. He's taken a ton of slot snaps. Like it's not like he's got zero or excuse me, uh, boundary snaps. It's not like he has zero um, on top of it, just because we needed him in the slot because literally everyone else at the receiver room busted doesn't mean to that he can um, that he can't be productive on the boundary the season coming up. And I think the bills will be after their best, the best players they can possible. That's ultimately how Brandon Bean's going to build this roster and whatever happens from there happens and I think they're going to draft a speed boundary anyways so like they're going to draft a speed boundary I don't think adding a vet whether he's a boundary uh like look at what they did when they had Dalton Kincaid like Dawson Knox was on the roster like going in like no one was talking about a tight end in the first round like people were saying like oh it could be cool to add a tight end later in the draft like especially this is a pretty decent class let's take one in the third or fourth blah 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 no one was talking about the replacement until the point where like we had to convince ourselves that Kincaid was almost a receiver Um, that's how we kind of talked about the situation. And now he developed as a blocker. He's developed as an all around player, top 10, um, season by tight end ever top four in receptions ever like, yes, Sam LaPorta was really good too, but they scored on that pick. I just don't think you can say like, we got one slot receiver and they don't have another slot receiver on the roster anyways. So there's no backup. Um, like we have one slot receiver. We are not going to touch slot receiver. I just don't believe I think the versatility taking a blow like a ton of other factors there that to me like you're going to draft the speed boundary like for sure. So you're going to already be in a rotation. People are going to be in and out of lineups. Someone's could get like hurt at half. Like look at the bills this year in the in in the in the playoffs. They don't have Davis. Um, I mean, I'd prefer to not be in a scenario like I'd love to like say someone went down Shakir. Um, is there to step right in and, and be an efficient part of the offense, or you don't have Boyd, or you do have Boyd, you don't have your speed receiver from the rookie class, Diggs goes down. Like there's some factors that you have to factor. And to me, I think that Shakir has shown the versatility, especially in his rookie year, to play this same exact amount of snaps. He was just needed more in the slot. And early on this season, um, he was sharing slot and wide until basically until the takeover of offensive coordinators. So that's kind of where I sit with the whole scenario. I just think Boyd's a perfect fit for, I mean, the Bills two years ago spent trying to find what they were going to do with returning Beasley and what they were doing with John Brown. Like they were looking for receivers. Um, I can't say that, like, I can't get picky and say like the market may not dictate it being a boundary. So you need to adjust and you need to be put good players on the field rather than take a guy lower down the totem pole and make him a boundary. I love Marquise Brown. He's my number one option right now in free agency. I don't think they can afford Pittman. Brown's my number one option. I do not think they can afford him, but if he ever came into the Boyd range, no doubt about it. I just think that he'll be more in that 10 to 12 to 14. I just don't think they can play in that. I think they have to be in the six or seven, but if Brown's willing to be there and resurrect his career in a one or two year deal, um, for sure, I'm not going to ever argue that. But I think that someone like Boyd, Fits the mold of what they were looking to do with like an Emmanuel Sanders in the past, kind of that old veteran presence that could come in um, and do a lot of different things. But, but Sanders was kind of versatile himself. He could play in a lot of different, a lot of different positions playing in front of Gabe Davis. So um, we'll get into that and more in future episodes about how we can, um, about how we can develop this off season. And we're going to get into exact specifics and maybe we'll formulate more, more of our uh, plan as seeing things unfold. We need to see cuts, Um, like I know the bills would be interested in Keenan Allen and he's a slot receiver. So like, there's just like a plenty of things to talk about as, um, all of this develops, but like a couple of quick coaching moves.
1: Um, so if you want to, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to say to your point about, you know, not being scared of building up the slot receiver. I understand. But at the same time, if the bills did nothing with the slot receiver position, this off season, I'm fine with it because, you have Shakir, you have Kincaid, and for what it's worth, you could slide Diggs in the slot. I know you probably don't want to, but you could put him there. You could put Naeem Hines there. You could try to expand on his role. Maybe James Cook. I know he's RB1, so that's probably a little bit out of the picture. But I'm thinking that guys that they're going to sign in free agency will have versatility. Guys that they're going to draft will have versatility. So I think that the slot receiver position is almost set in a way. That's why I'm thinking that I want to get a straight-up boundary guy who can be that speed threat. And if it came down to Hollywood Brown or Tyler Boyd, I'm taking Hollywood Brown. And I think that's pretty obvious. I think a lot of Bills fans would agree with me. So I want to throw it back to you, Kevin. If it came back to Noah Brown or Tyler Boyd, who are you taking? Because I'm taking Noah Brown. I'm taking the better player. I'm taking Boyd. I think you can't get pigeonholed into a
0: situation. And, and, and Bean has proven to do this. Like he does, he does not care. Um, like, I think what the the good thing that it would do is totally knock out slot for you. Like you don't even have to, like, I didn't think tight end was even a possibility to invest in that early, especially I like some possibilities of Schoonmaker uh, you know, he wasn't great this year. He didn't, you know, couldn't play over the guys that were in, in Dallas um, like Laporta, uh, a couple others. I did not think at all that that would even be something that entertain in that rank, but the way the draft felt, the Bills felt strongly enough where they traded assets to go get Kincaid. Um, look, I think that there's a scenario where you need to address slot receiver. And I think ultimately Naeem Hines is your RB three. He's your returner. The bills as much as they could have, they don't play their running backs in, in receiving positions very often. Um, so I think ultimately, you're looking at a scenario where, if something happens to Kyrie, you have no backup plan, anyways. And we know what hap- has happened in the past with the Bills' roster development. So I'm taking the better player. To me, uh, I like a little bit of what Brown's been able to do. But like, if you really break it down, like I'm not really as worried about who plays where, um, because I think that a lot of these guys coming out of the draft now have to have versatility. And I'm still thinking we're minimizing Shakir's versatility. He had to play in the slot this year because most people don't realize that um, Brown played a ton of slot receive, uh, receiving uh, as well. He played 168 snaps in the slot because they had boundary receivers. But when they lose boundaries, um, then you know he had to go pop in the slot. Like these guys need to be able to do that. Uh, like especially when you know they lost their number one receiver at times late in the year. Noah Brown had to go back out wide, um, so he took more snaps out there. But started the season more uh, snaps uh, snaps in the slot. So most of these guys should realistically be able to play um, both positions. And I can't just say because Boyd is a slot receiver that I'm never going to want to add at that position because we have Shakir. I think there's too much versatility now in the league and these receivers are getting to be too good to just be one trick ponies. And I don't think I am, I do not think he, uh, Shakir is pigeonholed into uh, being a one trick pony. And don't forget that Boyd as well. He's paid hundreds of snaps out wide, uh, especially when he's had receiver injuries. Yes, he is not a boundary receiver, but he still plays 150 snaps out wide every single season. So um, I think you can u- utilize it that way as well in certain formations and packages. And the bills will sure love what Boyd can do out of 12 personnel and what he can do in the slot in twelve, so I think that there's definitely options for the team, but he's just in the right range of all the factors we've already talked about, and we'll have to see that and more as we uh, go on this off season and what we're able to do uh, at the positions of players getting cut. Boyd could get resigned. This is this is moot. Noah Brown could get resigned, and this is moot. So we got to see what happens more um, as um, as things develop. And look, there's people that think that Boyd will require too much money. So if Boyd's out of the Bills' price range, then yeah, I mean, yeah, then you're then you're looking at like then you are looking at like Kendrick like Bourne and Noah Brown. Um it, it, I mean I think there's a world where KJ Osborne and Noah Brown get too much money. So somebody's going to be the odd man out, and that's where the Bills are going to be sitting uh and scooping and waiting in that's five to six to seven million dollar range. I was Bills made, say, what do you,
1: what do you no think God. about KJ Osborne? Former UV
0: product. Love him. Think he's a great player, covered him, went in Miami. Um Really good solid player, really good backup, was able to do some good things with bad quarterbacks this year, filled in for Jefferson. He's played his way in to talk about contracts. He's played his way into at his age, especially, he's gonna be a guy that's gonna see some form of of betting on his production. I really think he gets eight plus. I really do. I think and maybe short term, but he's going to get eight for 16, 9 for 18, a number where uh, I don't think it makes sense for a team like the Bills. He's gonna go be a receiver two somewhere, in
1: my opinion. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I was going to say, do you think he would fit that mold of a wide receiver for two years, 14 million, 7 million AAV? Or do you think he's going to kind of outprice himself and maybe a team is going to say, you know what? Let's throw a contract at him. Let's give him three years, 30 million total. I think it's in the latter. I I, I don't think the bills will be paying
0: for um him. I think at 26 and what he's been able to do, it's going to be an interesting market maybe he is one that's left out and you're right. He is more in that five per, then I think it becomes a lot more interesting um for me in, in, in my kind of, in my kind of reasoning, but like, he's technically a slot receiver too. I mean like 900 snaps in the slot. Like, so like, I like him. I don't think you can project him. I think he would go somewhere and get overpaid as a slot receiver more than Boyd, but we'll see how this all plays out. I think that somebody rather than a guy, 29, a guy, 26, that has shown flashes, that really is a true player that has played the same amount as wide as slot. He's played 900 snaps in the slot. He's played 900 uh, snaps out wide. So he's truly a versatile piece. Someone's going to pay for it. That's my opinion. But if he's one that's left out of this musical chairs, I think it makes sense. I do like him a tick better than Brown, and I like him a tick better than uh, like Kendrick Bourne.
1: Well, I'm looking at the market values right now, and K.J. Osborne is 7.5 million dollar average annual value. That's a calculated market value on track. So I mean that kind of falls within our range for what it's worth. Tyler Boyd has a market value of 8.7 million, Marquise Brown 14.8. Ooh. So that kind of gives you a uh, a little glimpse of what we might be dealing with here. I think that's too high for a Hollywood Brown. I mean if this was a couple of years ago, yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I mean maybe some team does throw the bank at him. But I think you could get Hollywood Brown for around ten million, maybe a little less even. That might be pushing it, but based on those numbers, it seems like KJ Osborne fits our price range that we set. Um, I would have to double check, but I think Kendrick Bourne and Noah Brown are about five to six million each. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Bourne or if um, if Osborne falls a little bit into that price range, he would be like a preferred target of mine over some of the other names. It depends which way he goes. If he goes up, he's out. If he goes down, I like him. So like that, that's kind of the threshold there. What his projection is seven and a half. I think that's still too much though. You're still betting on some development and production there. The Bills aren't in a position to where, you know, they're going to bet on that uh, that Nico Collins style of of upgrade. I I I, I don't know that the, the, the Bills are the ones that they, they'd rather probably spend six seven or eight on a guy that they feel is entrenched. That's why I bring up Boyd in this roster development because you're going to draft rookies. So that's why I like a guy that has a little bit more uh, Hollywood Brown or a guy that has proven it before you're paying a little bit for a potential with Osborne. And that's why like, that's why it's a tricky prediction of seven and a half. That's kind of like the over under, like sure he could go way under, but I still think that there's a chance that he goes over, um, over that situation. And people want to know where you think Marvin Harrison's going to go. Like, Different discussion for
1: a different day, but I got to imagine you're thinking top five, right, Kevin? I think so. I mean, maybe Arizona. Speaking Arizona and their wide receivers, maybe he could replace Hollywood Brown. Um, Again, I really haven't dug into the drafts yet, but the one that I saw the other day had quarterbacks going one, two, three. That's another very interesting conversation. Do the Bears stay with Justin Fields or did they draft, let's just say Caleb Williams, because then I saw – Washington takes Drake May. Jaden Daniels goes to New England. Marvin Harrison goes to Arizona at four. I think that makes sense. But if I'm the Bears, I mean, do you want to rock with Justin Fields and maybe take Marvin Harrison? Like, can you imagine Justin Fields, Marvin Harrison Jr. And um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Why does DJ Moore? I was about to say Darnell Mooney, who, by the way, he has a $10.4 million market value. <laughs> So that's no way pretty high he's for Darnell out. Mooney. Yeah, he's out. Yeah, but um, yeah. So Justin Fields and Marvin Harrison Jr. and DJ Moore. I mean, that is very, very enticing. It sure is, and yeah, equally so on Unborn. I am, in,
0: I am not as coming off that injury. That's part of my spiel on Boyd. Like, I need guys that play. The Bills need players at any position. I don't care what position. Look, what the 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 O line that played together the whole season was one of the strengths of the Bills. They need players that play this season. Bourne has had this 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 injury issue. All those uh, Patriots receivers have had that injury issue, like pop up. The Bills need players that are in the lineup. And historically, anything can happen to anybody, but they need players that historically in the lineup. I liked what uh, Bourne flashed. I just. I mean, ultimately, I want guys that um that are a little more proven on top of it don't have like an injury concern. Like I'd appreciate both of those things. If he comes here super cheap, fine. I'm just not a guy that I'm just not thinking five the five to s- four to six range for Born is not something that overly jumps out to me. But we'll I'll do some more research. We'll see where he is in his injury rehab. But, like it's just not my favorite. I, he reminds me of Sherfield. It's just not my favorite move at this stage. and and Sherfield came in with an elite trade at blocking. Um, and potentially had his best season ever with Tua. So there were some things to like with born the injury, the, uh, he's a tough one for me. I, I, I can see the potential, not a born fan. I, I, I don't really, um, I, I, am not going to buy him off a half of a year of production this season. Um, it just, it just reminds me of, I mean, he's older himself. Like he's not a, he's not young. He's already had a second contract. Um, I can't take him off of an injury. He's been healthy beside that, but it's a major injury at his age. Got to pass on Bourne for the moment unless he's free.
1: That's a good so. point because last offseason, Brandon Bean signed a bunch of guys who were coming off of their first contracts, their rookie contracts. I, I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head all of them, but there were guys yeah. like Connor McGovern, Bovern, Taylor Rapp, his- David Edwards. Uh, Sherfield that was his third, right? Because he was with San Fran in Miami. Same with Hardy. But he was signing guys within that age range of 26. Damian Harris. Yeah. yeah, 26, 27 years old. So mm-hmm. like they haven't necessarily peaked yet. So who could that be this year within that price range that we talked about? So let's just say right. the bills go for a 27 year old. And, and Har- Hardy was
0: one, by the way. He was he was coming off his first contract. As well. Oh, okay. That's why they had to pay a little bit more for him.
1: Okay. So based off of that. Let's just say we're, we're building the prototype here. 27-year-old wide receiver with a $7 million average annual value. Who can you get? Is it Noah Brown, K.J. Osborne? Like, who yeah, fits that like, mold? It's, it's Yeah, it's like Osborne. Yeah. Like, he like is I think Boyd is just a little too old, a little too pricey. But I think those two guys, K.J. Osborne and um, Noah Brown, might fit that perfectly. Even Curtis Samuel, is he a little bit too old for that? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's already
0: kind of been paid before. Like he left Carolina, Um, so he starts to. I mean, he's not that much younger than Boyd. He's like a year younger, so he's not really. um, They're like the same style, like a little bit different. They're different players, but the same like veteran age range of of individuals for me. So I guess it it's. I think the Bills will air in this this market on veteran production, healthy veteran production. Uh, but like guys like DJ Chark have been around a little bit. Like I know people love DJ Chark. Like he gets some love, but he's not my favorite guy uh, that I've ever that I've ever covered. So, but Noah Brown, yeah, by your qualifications, he would kind of fall within that within that range. Uh, but he's don't forget he's 28. He's gonna be 29. So Noah Brown's right, no yeah. young player. Like he's actually don't forget he's star guy Dallas. Yeah, Curtis Samuel is younger than him. And he's not much older than, or excuse me, not much younger than Tyler Boyd, Noah Brown. He's like, like six months, nine months. So he, he played a full five, uh, five years in Dallas um, and then played one year in, um, in Houston. So he wouldn't necessarily qualify even in, I mean, KJ Osborne's a guy that I think is in the right range that qualifies in that, that realm of possibility um, that you're referring to guys coming off of their first contracts that are looking for, second contracts, Darnell Mooney. And that's why those guys get those big production predictions because they're going into that second contract and teams are buying potential. That's why I think KJ Osborne gets the boom. That's for that. Exactly. They Bills had, they didn't get McGovern for free. That's why I think that KJ Osborne gets that boom. And I think that uh, Darnell Mooney gets that boom as well. So I don't even know that either of those are realistic, but if they are, I'm absolutely on board out. I'd take a flyer. on either. I think those are both the right range of player. Um, that I'd be interested in, but then you got the vet guys like Samuel Reynolds, um, Boyd, those guys are actually more similar, Noah Brown. They're really only nine to 12 months apart. So those are the, that's the next range. And I think that unfortunately that's the range I think the bills are in. I don't think they're in the youth range because like basically who heads the youth range is T Higgins. So my, uh, Michael Pittman. Um, so I don't ultimately think that they're going to be in that unless they make extreme moves and they don't do anything else all off season, but sign that player and then have to draft extremely defensive heavy in the draft if they go with something like that which you never know what bean has up his sleeve but i just don't think that they're in the 20 million dollar pitman market personally
1: actually his market value is 22.7 yeah i mean <laughs> i mean they're i mean they're projecting him to have a four year 90 something million dollar contract yeah like this it, it doesn't even make any boy or um Um, Higgins makes more sense. Like it
0: just doesn't make any sense that they could, um, that they could Higgins off of the injury year. He's probably
1: at like 18 projection. Right. I would assume. Let me look at his. And also while I look for this, I just want to say maybe for everything that we just laid out, maybe this is the year that the bills go after guys with their third contracts, maybe not their second, because like you said, I mean, they might be too pricey this year. Yeah, they're going after guys in the third contract in this situation uh,
0: for sure. Like they're going to try to bank on that. That uh, I think at the receiver position, I, I, because they're going to fill it with rookies. So that's the difference. So they're going to have one or two yeah. rookies on the roster. They're going to have already a guy on his rookie deal in Shakir and a guy on his rookie deal in Shorter and then have Diggs. So I think that they're okay with that because they're going to have two rookie contracts, two guys on their rookie contract and then digs. So I think that they're going to be okay with a, a more veteran. That's a room that they're already going to be fairly young at uh, beside their two top options um, and Diggs and whoever else this may be, it, even if you would consider whoever this is a second option. So that's why I ultimately think that like the room could benefit from a Curtis Samuel from a Tyler Boyd. Uh, but, but Samuel makes sense. The reason he doesn't make sense though, is he's still projecting to get 11 to 12. The bills can't afford that. So yeah. if, if, if he's not in that range, then the bills will be very interested in a guy like Curtis Samuel. If he is in that range, the bills will be nowhere near Curtis Samuel. It's as simple as that. But uh, right now, the projections are all over the board on him. So he's a really hard one. And I'm certainly don't want to pay a guy who had 613 yards. Um, kind of make fun of Davis for that. Um, Davis money uh, because just cause he's not Davis. Um, sure. He's older than Davis. So if you're going to do that, then decide Gabe Davis. But but realistically, this fan base would want Curtis Samuel more, and it's weird. Davis is better. So ultimately, I'm not fully on board for the 10-plus on Curtis Samuel. If he comes cheap, five to six in the range we've been talking about all night, fine. I am nowhere near the nine-plus million for Curtis. I don't want to be anywhere near that. This is his third contract. He didn't play great in Washington. He was okay. Um, But, uh, like – he is a guy that was just first drafted under Bean, like literally his last year there. Like Bean may have drafted, been a part of his draft um before he left for the Bills, like literally the next month. So they may like him. I just can't see how he's better than Gabe Davis, though. Like he's never produced. Never. Like Gabe has produced better in his four seasons than than he has in seven seasons for Samuel. So like we gotta be careful
1: what we're asking for, Kevin. Mm-hmm. You were asking about T. Higgins. His market value is $18.6 He thinks he's going to be worth more. And while I'm at it, this is another interesting name because he fits the prototype, but his market value is $17 million. So I don't think the bills are going anywhere near him, but Calvin Ridley. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be a nice addition. Like, he hi, would be hi, perfect, Yeah, but if, not for that price. Yeah, don't forget
0: he's on his first contract. Is he? Um, yeah. Yeah. He, don't forget his suspension and... You know whatever else he had oh, to work yeah. out, but he's technically like he is on a second team for sure. Um, but but he, the reason the, uh the Jags got him so cheap was because a, a the suspension, but then b like, um, like they had to move away from him. Uh, that he wasn't gonna he was you know he he was owed
1: money essentially. Like the Jags weren't gonna pay him. So, but he's he's twenty nine. Yeah, so he had four years in Atlanta now. Right, a suspension in twenty twenty two. He played twenty twenty three. Didn't Didn't Atlanta sign him to a second contract before trading him, or? Um, I, I mean, I don't believe so.
0: He's only got oh, he yeah, five years this- of experience, one being a suspension.
1: It says Calvin so the- Ridley signed a four year, ten point nine million dollar contract. So was that? That would have been his kid. rookie deal. That's his rookie deal. Oh, then and then they picked up his option.
0: Maybe that was it. Right, because he's a first round pick. He played under his fifth year option in uh Jacksonville. Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. yeah, no, so he's yeah. he's yeah, he's second. He's older. Like he was drafted at geez, like twenty-five. Um so that's probably what's throwing you off. He's drafted like late twenty-fours. Um, so that's that's confusing a little bit with the suspension and then with the fifth year option that makes it seem like it's been forever, but he's under his first contract. So uh, with the fifth year option being Mm -hmm. a first round draft choice, but he just had a weird career arc. Um, But yes, he would fit the mold. So would Higgins for sure. Uh, So would Pittman for sure. Can the bills play in those three range? You'd have to approach them with a very backloaded deal. You never know. You never, never know. And Bean will say the opportunity arose and this and that, is how he justifies uh making these moves, but I just don't think that they can be uh in that. And yes, DJ Chark is a free agent, but he's like he's a guy that comes up every year and then continues to not produce every year. So like I'm off on DJ Chark. I don't know where you stand on him, Kevin.
1: If you saw the face that I just made where I was like, Are you kidding me? Do you know what his market value is? I was thinking it was like two or three million because I've always been a DJ Chark guy, but I've just kind of finally stopped trying to be uh, like, Oh, let's go get DJ shark because it seems like no matter what system he's in, it just never comes to fruition. He's always getting hurt. And now he's kind of getting up there in age, not that much, but still $10.9 million market value for DJ shark. No, thank you. And he's 28 this at this like week one around. Yeah. One. Like, no,
0: he's four teams in four years. Jacksonville 21 Detroit in 22 Carolina in 23. Always been on bad teams and still can't produce like at some point he's just not that good. He's like the anti Gabe Davis. For some reason, people think he's good. I I don't, I, he shows flashes. He's a big play receiver. Um, six, three, two, I mean, he's literally like, most people don't understand. Like he's like, reminds me of a Gabe Davis who hasn't produced, um, as much. So another player yet, I don't get the infatuation with, I take him again at $2 million. Uh, but as you just read, he is certainly not a two million dollar receiver. For some reason, he's still getting these five, six, seven, eight, nine million dollar deals or more. I, he's a five hundred yard receiver. Like, what? What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, he's, he kind of is what he is at this point. Like, that's who we're who we'd want. Like, I'd be interested to add him, but I wouldn't be like over the moon happy with DJ Chark. I would just be like a Trent Sherfield style of sign. Like, that's what he reminds me of, with that tiny bit more potential than that. But like that's ultimately who he reminds me of since he's been drafted in the second round back in 2018. So I uh, wouldn't move the needle, but uh, I'm more interested to see where some of these receiver names come from um, when some cuts are being made and that'll put a full package and then some resigning. So I don't want to spend too, too much time breaking down guys who may just get resigned in a few weeks. So with that, before we wrap the show, I did want to um, show some coaching hires real quick, uh, but as always the show is brought to you by summit. So we really appreciate all of our uh, show sponsors here tonight, as well as Dave Dangler and Larson Timco Funeral Home. So, what do you think of the coaching hires, Kevin? Like um, Ronald Curry's a guy that the Bills just—he uh, was said to be wanted as the receiver coach in in in, in Vegas or in uh, the Saints. Um, he was by all intents and purposes supposed to be their offensive coordinator. Um, got passed up on. A guy that developed Michael Thomas, uh, he hasn't, you know, really had the option to work with many good uh, quarterbacks. That's why I brought up the, the 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 point of could James Winston be the Bills QB two? Has a lot of similarities to Josh Allen, Uh maybe the better best backup quarterback that they've had. Depending on if you think Trubisky's better than him, I think James Winston's better. So that's kind of the joke I made. But um, interesting, he's a pretty good signing. I think he's a he's going to be a standout guy that has a path to success uh, there in
1: Ronald Curry.
0: Um, any thoughts you have on Curry, Kevin, from your,
1: you're just brief, brief. Um. Well, just reading it now. So I'll just read this out loud. Curry joined the saints in 2016 and held the titles of offensive assistant in 2016 assistant wide receiver coach, 2017 full-time wide receiver coach in 2018, 19 and 20, the quarterbacks coach in 2021 and the passing game coordinator slash QB coach over the last two seasons. So, I think the Bills love versatility. That's what sticks out with me. You know, they talk about that with their players. For what we were talking about tonight, whether guys can play in the slot or out on the boundary, I think the Bills also like that within their coaching staff, too. And then my next thought was, hmm, who could we potentially go after with New Orleans? You know, I saw someone say, could Michael Thomas be a a wide receiver option for the Bills? And to your point about Jameis Winston. And then I'm thinking Deontay Hardy had him. So do they keep hardy now? I don't think so. But, you know, the wheels are spinning now where it's like, hmm, I feel like whenever they do these types of moves, they do it with other things in mind. So could we see someone else who he coached being signed by the bills? And for what it's worth, he worked with Joe Brady for two seasons. Now, okay, that says New Orleans. I thought it was Carolina that they worked together.
0: No, New Orleans. So he was more senior to Joe Brady um, Joe Brady was just an offensive assistant at the time. He would have been pretty young.
1: Um, you know,
0: at that point, he would have been like in his 20s. So he yeah. was an offensive assistant, um, for the Saints and he was a receivers coach. So technically, you know, there's no real like it wouldn't be his boss, but essentially he would have been working for Ronald Curry in a way because an offensive assistant, depending on his assignment or what he's doing, is probably helping out at some points with receivers or special assignments or whatever. So very much at least equal, if not um, Brady being like kind of reporting to Curry in a way based on the assignment. So, you know, must have learned a lot. And this is this is most people I've, I've seen it talked about a little bit, but Joe, very much a Joe Brady hire. Like I trust him. I've worked with him before. This isn't a cold hire. He's done really great things in that receiver room has been great. Um, you know, it was great underneath uh, Drew Brees, always a pretty good room. And then, you know, unfortunately, Brees moved on and they haven't really had very many good quarterbacks there. Uh, But I thought, you know, he got a lot out of Jameis Winston when Jameis came over from Tampa. So that's what really stuck out to me. But, yeah, the Hardy connection could be something. The Bills may approach Hardy about uh, taking some money off. Maybe they already have, hence his cryptic tweet the other day. He just needs a chance um, and say, hey, if you want to stay here, like, we're going to have to we're going to have to redo this. And he can say no if you'd like. Um, So different than a restructure so maybe um maybe they knew that curry was going to be the guy and curry wants to keep him you're right ultimately maybe they go curry they just cut Hines, save more money there's there's solutions there um that the bills could could go with so uh pretty good hire from outside the market that the bills really like to
1: fill quarterbacks coaches with outside the roster yeah and see i was thinking that curry and brady both worked with curtis samuel but i think it was just joe brady right yes yes correct
0: It would just be be, 27,
1: 18 range. I was thinking for some reason that they were all in Carolina together, but then I read it. I was like, Oh wait, no, that says New Orleans.
0: (laughs) No, don't forget. He wasn't really in uh, Carolina long. Uh, Brady was only there for a year and a half, 22 and uh, excuse me, 20 and 21. So whoever in Carolina was on that roster in 2020 and half of 2021. Yeah. So there wasn't a ton of, of Carolina overlap there for, for Brady and that, those poor rosters really post cam Newton. um bills also hired uh jamila die as well um you know his brother was a was a pretty good uh, db in this league um but he's um you know he's got some some pretty good pedigree as well taking over for a john butler uh who has been since uh agreed to part ways so the bills kind of went young across their defensive staff between hi- uh, hiring Babbage um, and then, obviously, Butler probably didn't love that. Uh, neither did, um, uh, you know, as you saw Washington as well go to to the to the Bears. So I'm assuming Butler the same way is going to wind up somewhere prominent. And was basically passed up on for Babbage. So the Bills went out and signed a die to be their their cornerbacks coach uh, there as well. Joe Dana is their safeties coach, um, who has been pretty good as a safeties coach. So uh, you know he's going to. The Bills think that there may be some situational changes. With some more press, maybe some more cover one. Adai has coached to cover one a lot in his career. So we're going to see maybe a different scheme change, uh, maybe to continue McDermott's and Babbage's aggressive style of defense. So that's going to be a pretty interesting change, uh, which they could be taught. And then obviously Kyer Elam's coach in college. So we'll see those fits and how that could fit. Um, going forward, and lastly, Christian Taylor, a guy that coached at William and Mary, no crossover with McDermott other than the fact that he's from William and Mary, um, and was their offensive coordinator there. But he's coming to be the defensive quality control coach, which doesn't do anything but like help with situational um, paperwork and things that they need. Um, you know, views that they see, probably scouting other offenses. Um, and how he's going to bring that to the table as a defensive quality control coach and what they need to do to stop an offense. So that's what many people are like, why would he coach defense? Because he's going to tell the defensive coaches what he sees most likely on film when they're playing the um, um, the Detroit lions, for instance, he can break down their, 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 offense and say, you know, this is what I think here. Here's what I say. You guys put this into a game plan. Um, so that would be, he's probably scouting offenses, um, and then returning it back to the defensive uh, coaching staff. So uh, pretty cool crossover there, a nice a – nice, it's, it's not a major hire there um, by any stretch. He's not doing uh, doing a ton. Um, so that, they, the Bills went younger across the board, lost a couple of older coaches. They're going to lose a lot of knowledge in this scheme, but good. I mean, Babbage is going to run his aggressive-style defense. He's got to die there at the cornerback coach, uh, put his, starting to put his stamp on it. He hired um, a couple of promotions as well. Um, that we didn't talk about at the um, uh, elevation. So the Bills only went external for a few roles this offseason. Uh, how do you feel about them getting younger as a coaching staff? Are you worried
1: or are you feeling better? Like, where do you stand on the, the youth movement? No, I like it because to the point that I made last week, I think it's good from a football standpoint, but from also a communication standpoint, because these guys, let's take Bobby Babbage, for example, he can relate better to these players. I mean, it's kind of crazy that Von Miller is older than Joe Brady. I know Brady doesn't coach Von Miller, but that just shows the youth here on the Bills coaching staff. And the game changes over time. And a lot of things change in general. And I think it's important to be able to have personable, relatable coaches who can go to these players. And, you know, I use the the example of Bobby Babbage's dad last week. Nothing against him because I thought he was great all along, but maybe – Now, this is just me speculating, but maybe he couldn't relate to his players as well because they're from different time frames. You know, maybe his son has that better communication because he's more active on social media or he just understands the guys a little bit better. So I think it's important that the Bills try to get younger, not only on the field, but off the field and on the sidelines as well.
0: Marcus West was elevated defensive line coach too. Guy, um, he's shown like the the uh, a lot of Bills players are pretty happy to see that. Daquan Jones, so maybe that'll help there. Uh, hardest working guy that he's seen. So uh, it was pretty cool to see the elevation from assistant D line coach. He's forty years old himself. So nice little promotion there. A D line coach. He's going to have a pretty good job and maybe can be more productive, um, in the. Uh, playoffs and we've seen in the past under washington and then um you saw Al holcomb a guy that's worked with McDermott. talk about a guy that's worked exclusively with mcdermott a long time back when he was the linebackers coach underneath mcdermott once again he returns to form and is the linebackers coach for bobby babich's old role underneath mcdermott so something they have a lot of um so they do have a a veteran presence there remaining of the rest of their roster who's pretty the rest of their coaching roster who's pretty young they're going to bring in Al holcomb uh, promotion to linebackers coach and then their offensive staff behind Brady is is very seasoned like beside Curry who they just hired um, but he's had a lot of experience at quarterback so it's Shula their senior offensive assistant you have Rob Boris who's been a former offensive coordinator who's done a great job with tight ends you have Aaron Cromer who's one of the best um, offensive line coaches so you do have some talent behind Joe Brady both of those units can do um, can do wonders uh, without needing to be micromanaged. So that's uh, that's a cool thing. Uh, Al Holcomb is 53. Um, so for those wondering. Um, but Kevin, anything else? Give me your final takeaways from those moves, the receiver dis- discussion. What do you got for me um, as, we, uh, as we wrap the show?
1: I have a question for you. What do you sure. think about Ken Dorsey's comments? Do you know interesting. I'm
0: yes. <laughs> I said interesting in my tweet um doesn't take accountability um really didn't even say had a great I learned a lot from one of the best quarterbacks in the league like I'll bring that experience over working with McDermott It was you know just you know time for me to try something new something like that like something I would say um but uh we're gonna see more awkward interviews from Ken Dorsey as the the years go on that's for sure
1: you know I always kind of thought that during his time here where it, it seemed like he was blaming the execution more than his own play calling Where like sometimes I wanted to hold Ken, I wanted Ken Dorsey to hold himself more accountable, because he would say, "Well, you know, these are our plays, and we just got to execute them better." But a lot of us were thinking, "Well, how can you execute those plays when they were kind of garbage to begin with? Like, there's no spacing, there's no fluidity, no rhythm or balance, you know?" And I wanted Ken Dorsey to say, "Like, I need to be better. I need to improve." my play calling to put my players in better position. And he did that to a point, but not to the level that I would have liked. So I think that, uh, you know, his interview was kind of case in point there with the Brown. And like I said, last week, best of luck to Ken Dorsey. I don't wish anything bad upon him, but I'm definitely curious to see what he's going to do with that offense. And, you know, the fact that he said that Deshaun Watson is a quality human being, I was like, Okay like he talked to Sean Watson up more than Josh Allen and I'm not trying to, you know, pigeonhole him into that and and you know, create that narrative but to your point he seemed like he was a little bit, you know, a little salty that the Bills let him go. Like, hey, we had a top offense and the coach there, didn't even say McDermott, he said their coach decided to make a decision. So now I'm moving on instead of you know, things didn't work out. We agreed that it was best for both sides. I'm appreciative of everything they did. Josh Allen's an amazing quarterback, and I'm going to take what I learned there and try to apply it to Deshaun Watson. No, nah, he didn't do that.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it. The He's a good play designer. Uh, can't call plays in a game. Couldn't stack anything. Um, things got a little bit too crazy. Um, but best of luck to the Browns. Hopefully, with he has more of a, a, an offensive coach now, maybe that'll work out with to Stefanski above him calling the plays and taking some of that load off. So maybe that's kind of more of the situation. I think he was a good quarterback coach, to be honest. So maybe that'll, that'll be a good fit uh, over there. Maybe he can resurrect Watson um, and get him from stop getting hurt and being productive. So that'll do it from us on the going deep Buffalo show on the built in Buffalo uh, podcast network. We really appreciate the summit center. We really appreciate Larson Timco funeral home uh, to all of our sponsors. Thank you so much for everything. And We'll be back at you on a Valentine's Day edition going deep Buffalo as always, seven o'clock every Wednesday, right here on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and to all of our on demand listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We have a fun offseason coming. Yes, it's the Super Bowl. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, I guess go 49ers.
1: Want to do predictions real quick? Uh, 49ers 27 24, San Fran 31 27. Okay, got a little higher scoring
0: we'll see. I uh, hope they stop a little bit into bite a little bit into this, this starting to be cheese dynasty, um, set them into a defensive tailspin. Maybe they'll spin their wheels all off. So you they have a lot of work to do on the defense, but we'll get into that and more. We'll recap and stuff and we'll get into our draft prospects soon. We'll definitely get into our model free agency in a few weeks, but from Kevin, that's Kevin. We'll be back at you soon and we'll check you out after the Super Bowl.